Our scripture reading this morning is found in Psalm 136. Uh, If you'd like to read along on your pew Bibles, it's on page 616, page 616. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. His love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens. His love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. His love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them. His love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it, his love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, his love endures forever. To him who led his people through the desert, His love endures forever. Who struck down great kings, his love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, his love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his love endures forever. And gave their land as an inheritance, his love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel, His love endures forever. To the one who remembered us in our low estate, his love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies, his love endures forever. And who gives food to every creature, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, his love endures forever. Thank you, David. So one of our human tendencies, one of the things that we will often do is overlook the most essential qualities in a person. In any field, any area that we're looking at, when we look at a person, we will often overlook some of the most important qualities in a person. Uh, This season right now, if you are a sports fan, This is a great season to be a sports fan. We have, in less than a week, the World Series starts. The the NBA professional basketball has started. Football is in full swing. Both college and professional football is in full swing. If you are a sports person, this is your your time of year. Uh, and, And so, as you're watching these different sports, I think one of the things that we don't even realize that we do is we will often overlook... 
we will overlook certain qualities that certain athletes need. We don't realize this about them. So, so for example, in, in football, when we look at what makes a great football player or specifically what makes, say, an offensive lineman, an offensive lineman is one of these individuals that stands on the line of scrimmage and they protect the quarterback. They make sure that nobody can get to the quarterback. They try to block them and all of this kind of stuff. And, and you think about an offensive lineman and what are the qualities that they need, certain things just kind of jump out. There are certain qualities that we expect an offensive lineman to have. We expect an offensive lineman to be at least 300 pounds, right? In the NFL, you will not find an offensive lineman under 300 pounds. I think that's probably true. Uh, so they, they need to be huge. Uh, you expect them to be incredibly strong, right? An offensive lineman is the kind of person, if for whatever reason you needed to pick up your car, uh, and I don't mean like, you know, pick it up, get in there. I mean, pick it up. Uh, an offensive lineman is the kind of person that you would want to have with you. Y- you need somebody who's really strong. That's a quality that you sort of expect of an offensive lineman. Uh, another quality people would expect of an offensive lineman is their ability to move side to side like a crab, right? This is sort of what an offensive lineman does. These are qualities that most people, even if you don't even watch full, you figure, well, they, they probably have to have those kinds of qualities. However... There is an essential quality uh, of an offensive lineman, which in retrospect will make sense, but many of us overlook. Offensive linemen have to have incredible balance. They have, in fact, balance is so important to an offensive lineman, get this, that professional football teams will hire ballet instructors to come in and work with their football players, their offensive linemen, to work on their balance, because balance is an essential quality, but it's one that we often overlook. We often overlook some of the most essential qualities. Uh, we'll, we'll stick with sports, so we'll use one more example. I grew up playing tennis. When you think of a tennis player and you think of the essential qualities of a tennis player, you think they've got to be quick, they've got to be fast. If you watch a lot of tennis, you realize that you need Ideally, to be about six foot one, that seems to be the ideal height. If you're taller than that, uh, you're lanky and you can't move around very well. If you're shorter than that, you can't get the angle on the serve to get the right amount of velocity. So if you look at the top tennis players, they're all basically six foot one. Roger Federer, uh, Rafael Nadal, Pete Sampras, all these greats, they're all exactly six foot one. Uh, uh, Djokovic is six foot two, which is why he's not quite as good as Federer and Nadal. That's just that extra inch has really kind of messed him up. So that's an essential quality of a tennis player. They've got to be a certain height. They've got to be quick. Uh, they've they've got to be. They've got to have great hand-eye coordination, right? But one you may not realize about a tennis player is that they have to have incredibly strong stomach muscles. It's an often overlooked quality of a tennis player is that much of their power, if not all of their power, comes from their stomach muscles. They have have washboard abs. You look at these guys, they're incredible, right? That's a quality that is often overlooked. You see, we have a tendency to overlook some of the most important qualities. And I would say that when it comes to our spiritual health and when it comes to spiritual maturity, we often will also overlook an essential quality. And that essential quality is something that emerges from this psalm that we're going to look at today. Now, just to give you a little preview of what's coming up in the weeks to come, next week we will jump back into our series on the book of Romans. We have been going through the book of Romans. We are through the first eight chapters 
of the book of Romans. Next week, we will jump into Romans 9. We'll go 9 through 11 over the next month. And then then comes in December, we're going to start a new series. We're going to break again from Romans. We're going to keep coming back to it. We're going to keep coming back to it. Uh, But in December, we're going to move away from it again for a month. And we're going to do a series. And the name of the series is... So come December, we're going to do a series called Wait. And this is intentional. We're doing it during the season of Advent. And Advent is a season, a time of the year in the life of the church, which encourages us and trains us to wait. Right? I encourage you to get one of those cheesy Advent calendars with the big, you know, with the big chocolate bunny at the end. I don't know if it's a bunny at the end, but you've got all the little doors, you've got all the little chocolates, and then there's the big one, and boy, you just want to, when you buy that calendar, you just want to pop open, you know, December 25th, right? That's just when you want to open it up, but you have to wait. So I encourage you, that season is a season of waiting, and that's what that series is going to be about. So that's what's coming up. But today, we're taking a break. We're looking at this passage, this passage that highlights a, a quality that is essential to spiritual health, spiritual growth, that is often overlooked. Now, there are certain qualities which we, we all can sort of, uh, we, we all know. There are certain qualities of a spiritually healthy person that are expected, right? Uh, a person who is spiritually healthy, this is a person who has the laws of God, the Ten Commandments written on their heart. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, and, and all of the, the, the different emotions that come with that, all of the actions that flow out of obeying those laws, we associate that with a person who's spiritually mature. We think of the fruit of the Spirit, right? We think of, of patience, right? A spiritually mature person is patient. A spiritually mature person is kind. A spiritually mature person has great self-control, right? We, we, we have these, these certain qualities which we recognize and we expect that we look for, but I think, I think that there is a quality which is often overlooked, a spiritual quality that is essential to virtually every other area of spiritual health, and that's a quality which emerges in this passage, and here's what it is, thankfulness. Thankfulness, a person who is thankful, that is a sign of spiritual maturity, and it's a very essential one. And I want you to think about this because I believe that virtually all other aspects of spiritual maturity, they flow out of thankfulness. If you are thankful, the other stuff will come along with it. Right, or to put it another way, we'll look at some of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. You know, what leads somebody to commit adultery? What leads somebody to covet their neighbor's wife? It's a lack of thankfulness. It's ungratefulness. If you're thankful for what you have, then, then that will not flow out of it. Thou shalt not steal, right? Let me put it a different way. Uh, I don't know if you've ever met a bank robber before. Maybe you've, okay, uh, Frank has. That sounds like a story we'll have to hear about sometime. Um, you weren't part of the bank robbery, were you? Okay, all right, that's good. But if, if you, like Frank, maybe you met a bank robber at a party, something like that. What do, you, what do you do for a living? Oh, I rob banks, right? If you meet a bank robber, I guarantee you, meet, you have met somebody who is not very thankful. 
Because a bank robber, they, they, they steal what they don't have because they're not thankful for what they have. Thou shalt not steal. If you are a thankful person, you will not steal. Stealing comes out of a heart that is not thankful for what you have. Thankfulness drives out impatience, right? What is impatience? You're not thankful for what you have right now. There's something else that you need, and you can't wait to get it because you're not thankful for what you have in the moment. Thankfulness drives out bitterness. How many of us find ourselves sometimes consumed with bitterness? What's going on there? You're dwelling on something that perhaps happened in the past. You're dwelling on something that didn't go your way. You're dwelling on what you don't have. Thankfulness drives out bitterness. It drives out complaining, right? If you ever complain, realize in the moment when you're complaining, you're just not very grateful. Isn't that true? Because that's what complaining is. It's, it's saying, I'm not grateful for what I have. I need something else. Complaining flows out of an unthankful heart. Thankfulness drives out, drives out complaining. I want you to try this. We're going to do a little, little interactive here. <clears throat> Everybody pat your head. Right this, right? Straight up. It's got to be straight up and down, right? Okay, now stop. With the other hand, I want you to rub your belly like this in a circle. Now you guys know they got to keep that circle going. Now try and try and keep the, the, the head. It's hard to keep this straight. You can't. You keep doing circles here. It's hard to pat your head. Another and, and see, you can't do them at the same time. Here's what it is: you can't be thankful and bitter at the same time. You can't be a complainer and thankful at the same time. They don't. It doesn't work that way. Thankfulness drives that out. You can't be angry. You can't be filled with rage when you're thankful. It drives all of that out. So I would just say that thankfulness is an essential aspect of spiritual maturity. Regret. How many of us, how many of us, and I say this because I've met a number of people with this issue where I see so much joy being taken from them because of regret. Oh, if only I had, if only, you know, if only I had, if only I hadn't dropped out of school, right? If only I'd stuck with that, that program and, and pursued that degree. If only I, if only I'd, if, if only I'd, right? If only I'd stuck with that relationship. Regret, regret, regret steals your joy, but thankfulness drives regret out. Another way of saying it is that if you want to experience joy, pursue thankfulness. Don't, don't just try to pursue joy. Joy is a sort of nebulous thing. How do, you, how do you get joy, right? No, pursue thankfulness because thankfulness leads to joy. If you want joy, here's what you do. Just become a ridiculously thankful person. Just become, like, just ridiculously Thankful. Be one of those individuals that you're just always thankful no matter what, right? So let's just, let's just kind of paint a picture of this for a minute. Let's imagine you're sitting at home one day after work, and you have had a terrible day at work, right? Uh, you've gone to work, and, and your, your boss called you into her office. She sat you down, and she looks you in the eye and says, look, I'm really sorry, but you did not 
get the promotion. And this is a promotion you had been you had been working towards for years. Maybe you even stayed with that company. You could have taken a position somewhere else, but you stayed with this company because you thought you had been led to believe that this promotion was going to be yours. And you go into your boss's office and she says, I'm sorry, you didn't get the promotion. And then as you're walking out of the office, as you're walking out of the office, um, you, you run into one of your coworkers and he spills coffee all down your shirt. And then at the end of the day, you've lost, you didn't get the promotion, you had coffee spilled all over you, you you go down to get in your car, you have a parking ticket, right? This is what happened in your day. And so there you are at home, you're sitting on the couch, you're sitting there drinking a glass of seltzer water, because that's really popular these days. If you guys notice this, like seltzer water is having this massive comeback. I don't know how this happened, but everybody, would you like a seltzer water? I don't know, that's what's happening. So there you are. You're sitting on the couch after this terrible day. You've just come home. You've just driven home from work after losing this possibility of promotion, getting coffee spilled on you, get a parking ticket. You drive home. You're sitting on the couch drinking your seltzer water. You have a choice there. You can be ridiculously thankful, and here's what you're thankful for. You're thankful that you didn't get in a car accident when you drove home, right? You could have gotten in a car accident, but you didn't. You're able to sit there on the couch and drink that seltzer water. You have so much to be thankful for, right? Well, let's imagine it gets worse, right? Let's imagine that you, it spills the coffee on you. Are you going to get a parking ticket? You get in your car, and you do get in a car accident, and it, it breaks your arm. And so now you're, you're drinking your seltzer water and with one arm, you know, you're, like, you're trying, you're spilling it, and you're like, but you can be thankful that you didn't break both arms, and if you broke both arms, you'd be thankful that you have your legs. And, and if you broke your arms and your legs, you'd be thankful that you can breathe. The only thing that should stop you from being thankful is if you're dead. And then you're going to be really thankful. You see, if you want to find joy, if you want to pursue joy, no matter what goes on in your life, you just pursue thankfulness. Guys, let's just get ridiculously thankful. Be thankful that it doesn't hurt when you pee. Be thankful that you can eat bagels and the gluten doesn't get to you. Maybe you have a gluten problem. Be grateful they have gluten-free bread. Be grateful that the New York Giants aren't 0-6. They actually beat the Texans. Good for you, Giants. Well, for you, right? You can always be thankful, and in being thankful, you can always find joy. So in this passage, in Psalm 136, we are exhorted to be thankful. And it unpacks for us who we are to be thankful to and what we are to be thankful for. Who we are to be thankful to and what we are to be thankful for. First of all, we are to be thankful to God. Verses 1 through 3. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. So three times, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. He wants to make it very clear right at the beginning here that we are thankful to God. And I think this is important because sometimes in our culture, you can have people who have sort of, just sort of a vague attitude of gratitude, right? I, I just, I have, I, I have an attitude of, of gratitude. In fact, I, I, in fact, I remember even listening to a podcast 
were, was someone who proclaimed to be an atheist. They said, yeah, I don't believe in God, but I'm just a very thankful person, right? And, and I would say that, that when someone says that, certainly within our Western, uh, Western society, Western Christian, Christendom society, post-Christendom society, they are operating on what I would call borrowed capital. In other words, that thankfulness is rooted in belief in God. Now, maybe you have stopped believing in God, but that whole concept of thankfulness, it had an object and it was God. And so it it's not really, doesn't really make any sense to say I'm thankful, but I don't believe in God. To say I'm thankful, but I don't believe in God would be like saying I really like to practice shooting free throws, but I don't like to have a basketball hoop. Yeah, you know, saying I'm thankful, I don't believe in God is like saying, I like to go hunting, but I don't like to shoot anything. It doesn't really mean anything. In fact, what I would say is if you have a person who is thankful, but maybe says they don't believe in God, what I would say is going on there is that their heart believes in God, but their mind hasn't caught up with it yet. If you're a thankful person, your heart believes in God, but your mind hasn't caught up to it. And so what this passage is doing here is reminding us that God is the one to whom we are thankful. It's not just some vague thankfulness, vague gratitude. We are thankful to God, the God of gods. We're not, and, then, and then, again, kind of exploring this more. We're thankful to God. We're not thankful to someone else or something else. That's why he's saying he is the God of gods. He's saying whatever other gods Whatever other things that you might generally look to as the source of your life, and that can be anything, right? Anything can be a God. Anything can be a thing that you look to as a source of life. Maybe you have a brand new car, right? And that car is what gives you life. And maybe you've even caught yourself saying, looking at your car, even talking to it, thank you. Thank you, BMW. Thank you. Right? I mean, maybe you don't say it out loud, but in your heart, you're, you're like, no, don't thank your car. Anything that you have, any blessings come from God. We thank God. He is the one that we thank. So ultimately, we don't thank things. We don't even thank other people, though you can do that. But even when you do that, ultimately, your thanks needs to be towards God. So, for, for example, my parents are here with me today. I'm very grateful to have them here uh, with me here for the last couple of days. And I'm very thankful to my parents for so many things. I'm thankful to them for the way they raised me. I'm thankful that they, they got me learning music at a very young age, forced me to take piano lessons even when I didn't want to take them. I'm, I'm thankful to them for instilling in me a love of knowledge and a love of learning and a love of hard work. I'm thankful to them for so many things. But I think what this reminds me of more than anything is that I need to be thankful to God for them. I'm thankful to God for them. I think it's really interesting when you read through the letters of Paul, Paul very rarely thanks the people he's writing to. No, he thanks God for them. In Romans chapter 1, he thanks God for the people in Rome. In his letter, 1 Corinthians, he thanks God for the people in Corinth. In Philippians chapter 1, he thanks God for the people who live in Philippi, on, 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 on. He says, I thank God for you. I don't know if there are cards that say this. We have thank you cards, but do we have thank God for you cards? 
Because that's what we should have, because in the end, what this is reminding us is that God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords. He is the one to whom we are thankful for. Another way of saying it is don't thank your lucky stars. We don't thank our lucky stars, right? We are blessed, not lucky. We're blessed, not lucky, right? My, when, you, when people look at me, I know they think this, right? They, they look at me, and if they've gotten to know my wife, they've gotten to know her to any degree, I know this is what people think. They think, how on earth did he get her? Right? How did he, how did he get her, right? And, and here's, you know, you're tempted to say, boy, he's lucky. No, I'm not lucky. I am blessed, Right? We're not lucky. We don't thank our lucky stars, right? Thank your lucky stars. As Later on here, it says that God made the stars. God made the lucky stars, right? So, so we don't thank our lucky stars. We thank God. In other words, we are blessed, not lucky. The thankful person realizes that this attitude of gratitude is directed towards God. So we are thankful to God, and we are thankful for Several things. Several things I'm just going to highlight in this passage that we are thankful for. We are called to be thankful for and will lead to joy. First of all, we are thankful for creation. We are thankful to God for creation. This is what verses 4 through 9 are basically about, right? It says here, uh, Give thanks to him who alone does great wonders, who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night, right? This is a, a thankfulness to God for creation. And again, I think there's a subtle mind, a reminder, as I've already said here, when he says that he made the sun to govern the day and the moon and the stars to govern the night, this is once again reminding, again, in that context, in that culture, the sun and the moon and the stars were precisely the gods that people worshipped. And so in saying, thank God for these things, he is reminding them once again, he is the God of gods, right? So it's a reminder of that as well. But it's it's this reminder that everything, everything that we have in creation comes from God. And we should thank him for that. And I think it's interesting the, the language that is used here when it talks about the great lights, the sun and the moon. He made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, and the moon and the stars to govern the night. This is pointing to, this is hinting at this idea of order. God has created our world, our universe, with a sense of order, a sense of consistency. Right? The, The sun, it is consistent, right? I mean, it gets up. You can you can calculate exactly when it's gonna get up. You get on your app, and it'll tell you no matter where you are, exactly when the sun is going to get up. And if the sun gets up at a different time than when your app says it's going to get up, your app is wrong. The sun didn't change its mind. It is ordered. It is consistent. Right? It, it, the sun, the moon, the stars are so consistent that for centuries people used them to figure out where they were to navigate where they were going because they knew that was, that was consistent. They could count on that. And so here it's hinting at the the order of things that God's world is consistent. It can be counted on. And I think what emerges out of that, here's something that I think emerges out of it, that a thankful person realizes that in this world, this is important, things go wrong 
excuse me, things go right way more than they go wrong. This is what a thankful person realizes. Things go right way more, way more than they go wrong. In other words, they, they realize that Murphy's Law just isn't true, right? Murphy's Law, what is something? If it can go wrong, it will. If it can go wrong, no. The person who understands the gospel, understands the God of the Bible, realize that is not true, that God is a God who's created a, a world of order, and things go right far more than things go wrong. Listen, in our world, this is just true. If you get on a plane and you fly to visit somebody, you might crash in the Atlantic Ocean. You just might. But probably not. That is probably not what's going to happen. Right? Uh, you, look, this is flu season coming up here in October. It's possible that you could die from the flu. But that's probably not going to happen. I mean, way more of us are not going to die from the flu than those who are going to die from the flu. Listen, right now, a, a blood vessel in your brain could pop and you could collapse in your seat right here. That could happen right now. It probably won't. Most of the time, it doesn't usually things go right way more than they go wrong. Now, pardon me, this is kind of a crude uh, analogy or illustration of this, but I think it'll stick with you. Guys, let's be honest. When a bird poops, it usually does not land on someone's head. Right? It does not. I mean, all we remember, all we think is when it lands on your head. But so much more bird poop lands on the ground. Folks, things go right way more, way more than they go wrong. So we, we need to be thankful, people. We need to be ridiculously thankful. Be thankful that you didn't choke on your pork chop last night. Be thankful that your child only busted his lip when he fell down the stairs last night. Be thankful that you only got stuck in one hour of traffic instead of two. Be thankful that you had a hot shower this morning. The laws of thermodynamics, we understand them and they are consistent. Be thankful for all the things that you have. Be thankful that the tree in your front yard last night didn't crash into your bedroom. Because that's not usually what happens. In fact, usually what happens this time of year is that those tree leaves change. They turn into different colors. When we see something beautiful, you think, you see, what we also need to understand is when we thank God for creation, we thank God for the consistency, the goodness of creation, we also need to thank God for the beauty of creation. Right? When we thank God for the order of things, the order of creation, we need to realize that that naturally leads to thanking and praising God for the beauty of creation because beauty, and we've talked about this before, beauty is just a higher form of order. Beauty is a higher form of order, how God has ordered things consistently. He has made things good. In the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, when we read about the creation story, the the main focus of that chapter is God bringing order out of chaos, right? He's bringing order out of chaos, and that's communicated in the language that we find there, the spirit hovering over the waters, right? The waters in the ancient world were very symbolic, for chaos. And so the, the story of creation is God bringing order to what was chaotic. And, and so as the, as the story unfolds with each part of the creation story, what does God say after each part? He says, it was good. It was 
good, after each part. And that word good then is referring to how order has come out of chaos. Now, what's interesting about that word good, the Hebrew word tov, what's interesting about that word is in a few chapters later, it is used in a very different context when it says, it says that the daughters of men were beautiful. But it's the same word. It's the same word because I think within the Hebrew understand, they understand that the goodness of order is also the goodness of beauty, that beauty emerges out of, out of order, that when you listen to beautiful music, what you are listening to is musicians who have mastered the order of music. As one example of beauty being that which emerges out of order. And so the thankful person, here's what I'm getting at, the thankful person looks around, sees the beauty of the world. Here's what the thankful person does. The thankful person just simply realizes we live in an amazing world. They just live with this attitude of thankfulness towards God, this realization that we live in this amazing world. Right, one of the greatest movies of all time, Joe versus the Volcano. Right, it's one of my favorites. There is this scene where Joe, and and Joe really needs to learn to be thankful. That's part of his problem. He's just incredibly pessimistic about life, whatever. He he thinks he's going to die. He gets diagnosed with a brain cloud, thinks he's only going to live for a few more months. So he's given this opportunity to just live it up, to just kind of, you know, live up life and and all of this. Uh, Anyway, there's there's this scene where he's talking with, I think it's Patricia, his love interest. And Patricia says this about her father. Here's what she says here. She says, my father says that almost the whole world is asleep. Everybody you know, everybody you see, everybody you talk to. He says that only a few people are awake, and they live in a state of constant, total amazement. Think about that. Only a few people are awake, but those who are awake are people who live in a state of constant, total amazement. Friends, I believe that when the gospel, the truth of who our God is and his love for us and everything that he has done for us. So sometimes things do go wrong. I don't know what's going wrong over there, but (laughs) some sort of noise over there. When the gospel begins to work in our hearts and work in our lives, we begin to see the world through this lens and see that we, we live in this state of constant and total amazement. I've shared with you a friend of mine who, in some respects, sort of lives this way. It's a little bit weird, to be honest with you. This uh, friend from college, she kind of lives in a state of constant amazement, and it's kind of weird. It's awesome, but it's a little weird just because it's so unusual. I remember back in college, I've shared this story before. A bunch of us, a group of us, were sitting around a table. I don't even know what we were doing. We were just talking, and she goes, she looks, she, she, all of a sudden, she just goes, oh, my gosh, that is amazing. We're like, Katie, what, what? What is it? She's like, look. look. And she starts looking at her glass of water. It's a glass of water sitting on the table. She looks at it. She goes, look at the water. You can see through it. We're like, yeah, it's water. But then it dawned on me, like, that, that's amazing. You can see through water. You see, a thankful person is able to realize, live in this state of constant total amazement at this world that God has created for us. And so this psalm encourages us to be thankful to God, be thankful for creation. And then secondly and finally, 
encourages us to be thankful for salvation. This is, of course, what verses 10 through 22 are. Thanks to him, thanks to God, who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm to him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it. Right? And on and on and on it goes. And of course, what is this pointing to? What this is pointing back to is the story of the Exodus. And this story, of course, you find throughout the Hebrew literature, them always going back to this. This time when God rescued them, they were in slavery in Egypt, and God brought them out of slavery and led them, led them ultimately to the promised land. This, of course, became paradigmatic for their understanding of God. There's, there's, there's many names for God, but the two most common names, Elohim. Elohim is the God of creation, and then Yahweh. And Yahweh, too, the people of Israel, that name was, became very much associated with salvation. God is a God of salvation. God is a God who rescues us. And then as you read through the Hebrew Scriptures, this theme of salvation just keeps coming back over and over and over again, that the people of God, when they find themselves in difficulty or in trouble, God raises up some sort of leader to come. That's what the book of Judges is all about. Over and over and over again, the people of Israel find themselves in a place of difficulty. They cry out to God, and God raises up some leader, some judge to come and bring salvation, this theme over and over and over again. King David, King David comes and and delivers them from the Philistines. He is the one through whom God brings salvation. This just becomes paradigmatic for who their God is. And ultimately, of course, it comes to a culmination in Jesus himself. And in Jesus, we find the ultimate salvation, that in Jesus, God does not just deliver the Israelites from the Egyptians. God does not just deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. God does not just deliver the Israelites from any people group. God delivers humanity from sin and death, the ultimate enemy. You see, and as Christians called to be thankful for that. Psalm 136 calls us to be thankful that God is a God of salvation, calls us to look back on all those times in our lives when we've seen God at work, when God has brought salvation even in the here and the now. The time when, when, when you look back and you're like, you, you, we all know this, we just have to remember this and be thankful for it. We all have this. You look back sometime in your life, but thank God I didn't go that direction, Right? Right? Thank God I didn't marry my high school boyfriend. Woo! Imagine what would have happened there. Or thank God that, God, I did marry my high school boyfriend, and you've, you've worked in and through our marriage, and I've seen beautiful things coming out of that, right? You look back at times in your life and thank God. Thank God that he brought me out of that. Maybe you, I know many folks in our church here have had serious health conditions. We have many cancer survivors in our church. And this psalm is an opportunity for us to look back and say, thank you, God. Thank you for working through my hospital, my doctors. Thank you for the ways in which you brought healing into my life. Thank you for salvation. Right? And then ultimately what it means to thank God for salvation is to thank him that he loves us no matter what. We have a God that no matter what we've done in the past, no matter how far we have turned 
from him. We have a God who loves us so much that he died on the cross to forgive us. And that we can come to him and we come to him every week and we just say, thank you. Thank you, God, that you love me so much that you gave your life for me. Thank you, God, that you, you love me so much that you will not let me go. That no matter what comes my way, not even death can separate me from the love of God. Friends, we're called to be thankful. And this thankfulness, being thankful to God for creation and for salvation, this is at the heart, I think, of spiritual maturity. I think it's really interesting where this psalm is placed in the book of Psalms. It's towards the end. Right, the book of Psalms is 150, 150 psalms. And this Psalm 136 comes at the end. And, and I think that's rather interesting because I like to think of the book of Psalms as sort of being uh, the diary of the collective soul of the people of Israel. It's like a diary. That's kind of what it's like. It's like you read the Psalms, they're like diary entries. They're, they're entries in a journal, and you read through them. And, of course, they have just like if you've ever written in a diary – all kinds of different emotions, all kinds of different feelings. Sometimes it's praise God, praise God. Sometimes it's, oh my gosh, God, what are you doing? And there's frustration and there's anger. And if you've ever done that, if you've ever been honest in your own diary, your own journal, you, all of these different emotions arise and are expressed as you go through life. And so I like to think of the book of Psalms as sort of the diary of the collective soul of the people of God. And I think that what you find is you come towards the end. The latter third, the latter quarter of the Psalter, increasingly you, you, you find these psalms that I think really help us to see, you know, what does spiritual maturity look like? And as this, this old, old person, this old collective soul of the people of Israel gets older, comes to realize what really matters, and it's thankful. So, friends, Thanksgiving is about four weeks away. You're wondering, Kevin, why didn't you preach this on Thanksgiving? And here's why. Here's the, what, what I hope your takeaway is from this. Don't wait for the turkey to be on your kitchen table to start being thankful. Don't wait. Don't wait till you've got the family around and the stuffing and the and the potatoes, and the gravy, and the turkey, and then, oh, hey, you know what? We should thank God, right? No, let's start now. Friends, one of the things that we, we do in this church and is we have a tree, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to emerge here uh, in a week or something like that. Uh, we're not quite sure where we're going to put it yet, but we have a tree that those of you who have been here for you know, several years know. We have this amazing tree that Carol Thies puts up for us, and it changes. We change it to reflect the different seasons in the life of the church. So, for example, after Easter, it becomes the tree of life, we call it. And on that tree, we put these, these leaves that have the different dimensions of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And we encourage you to take those leaves off, right? That in light of Easter, in light of the hope that has come in Jesus, that this is what the Spirit can begin to do and to cultivate in us. So we encourage you to take those leaves off the tree of life in that season and to pray that God would work that in you, right? Now, prior to that season, in the season leading up to Easter, in the six weeks leading up to Easter, we call it the tree of confession. 
And this is a time, this is a season in the life of the church when we are encouraged to really reflect on ways in which perhaps we've turned away from God. It's a time in which we reflect on idols perhaps that we need to strip ourselves of, to die to ourselves, to die to ourselves as Christ died for us. We die to ourselves as Christ died for us. And we see that Christ in the cross took all of that upon himself. And it's a time for us to reflect. It's a time for us to confess. It's a a time to come before God with honesty about where we are, right? That's the season when we call it the tree of confession. And you have the opportunity to write on the leaves the things that you need to confess, the idols that you need to give up. And you can write those and put them on the tree. That's the tree of confession. Then even earlier, we have the season of Advent. And we'll have that coming up in December. And then we call the tree the tree of longing. It's this tree of longing, and it's an opportunity for us to embrace this theme in Advent of longing for God, waiting for God to come and to work. And, of course, the season of Advent is the season when that's exactly what we do. We relive the story of the people of Israel hoping and waiting and longing for the Messiah to come. And so on that tree, you have the opportunity to write down your prayer requests. What are the things that you hope and you long for for God to do in your life? So that's the tree of of longing. But for us, it starts with the tree of thanksgiving. So in a couple of weeks, you'll find this tree going up, and it's an opportunity you'll be able to write on the leaves of the tree the things that you're thankful for. And even if you don't write something on there, it'll be there to remind you that this is a season, this is a season in which we seek to cultivate this heart of thankfulness. Don't wait for the turkey to be on your Thanksgiving table, to start being thankful. Let's pray. Dear God, we have so much to be thankful for. God, even in our times of difficulty, there is so much to be thankful for. God, I pray exactly that, that you would help us in the coming weeks to cultivate a heart of thankfulness. God, that we might find the joy that you long for us to have. We pray all this in Jesus' name.